This is three women and a bottle of wine. Three friends. Three former TV reporters. And one bottle of wine. We're delving into whatever interests us. News, not news, it's what affects our lives because it's probably affecting yours too. I'm Kim Inslee. I'm Lynn Melling. And I'm Julie Barkey. And now on with the pod. We are so excited to welcome Amy Matthews. Many of you know her from her variety of television shows on the DIY network like Sweat Equity. She's been on multiple HGTV shows, Renovation Raiders, one of my personal favorites. (laughs) She's a licensed contractor, a survivor of an abusive marriage, a single mom, and now the co-brainchild of a nonprofit. Amy Matthews, thank you so much for joining us. Thank we really you appreciate for it. Having me, it's so exciting to be here. Well, let's begin at the beginning. You know, this is a rather unusual career for a lot of women, and I know you've been asked this before. But why don't you explain to all of our listeners a little bit about how you chose to be a a contractor, and B, did you ever think it would lead to where it led? Right, not at all. If you would have asked me when I was, you know, 15, 20 years old, if I would be a contractor working on TV and renovating things, I would have thought you were absolutely crazy. So, you know, our paths meander and sometimes they like zigzag and sometimes they're just a T in the road. Um, But I started doing home improvement stuff with my church youth group when I was 14 years old. And that kind of got in me as a, you know, it was all socially oriented. It was about community and it was about not making, not beautiful things like we see now on, you know, the TV shows. It was about practicality, like getting in there and helping people who didn't have front stairs and they were 80 years old and they had to get into their house. So it was, it was about the practical making your home like work for you. And it, it touched me and moved me and I learned some skills. And then years later, after going to school for you know television and, and radio and violin and opera and all that good stuff. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Violin. You, on I top did. of all of this, you sing opera? I do. I did. I won't. I feel I can't. so... <laughs> One more glass of wine and I There's bet we'll get music. you two. Yeah, we got a bottle of wine here. Yeah, right. well, if this was at a karaoke bar, we might have had a uh, different show. We could line that up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel very insignificant at the moment. I can't no. sing my way out of a wet paper bag, but um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Keep telling us about... <laughs> So, question for you then. So you you gather the skill set. You're 14. You grow up. You do all all of these things, and everybody wants to know, how do you take that and make a leap into television? Well, it was an audition. It was an audition, a local show. So Steve Edelman owned Edelman Productions, right? You guys know Steve. Stephen Sharon. Stephen Sharon. I grew up watching that. (laughs) I was like, oh my god. And so I went in. I had lived in New York City, and I moved back like unintentionally. It was after 9/11, and I was kind of here, and then I stayed, and then I booked a couple shows, and I was working in theater and doing music. And there was an audition for a TV show for a new show on the DIY network that was like brand new. They were just coming into their own, and HGTV was there but not as established not what we know today and H- and DIY used to be like there was a guy doing cars and there was someone doing crafting and there was someone doing landscaping and it was a completely different picture it was like you could knit and have a show on DIY <laughs> you know it was like a snooze I think you're underselling yourself. Just, I'm just going to say that. Right. Am I continue. It? Okay. Well, and then they gave me a show. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously you earned it. You, it was, thank you, you had the skills. It was the first big renovation show. And it was interesting at that time because they were like, well, what does she wear? Well, shouldn't she be in overalls? You know, she has like slim jeans on and a t-shirt. Like, can we see her body? I mean, it was really weird. Oh. It was like we were back in 1972. Oh, wow. It was bizarre. And so, and, other, and people at the network were like, no, we want a female in here doing this and so I went in for an audition and it was one of those moments where the stuff that you learned in your life that you didn't know you'd ever pull out of your back pocket they 
gave me this content and essentially it wasn't even a script it was like hey there's a problem that wall that brick wall it has a leak in it there's a pipes and there's the thing and they explained everything and they were like now you tell it go and I ended up just turning around and being able to give all of this content in layman's terms and really translate it for homeowners and it just worked like that was the audition it worked and it was like goosebumpy it was like oh my god i love this i have goosebumps right now right so yes. nobody cared at that point whether you were wearing a a something that would show your shape or anything about the woman thing it was your the content you knew what you were talking about and that's what sold them exactly and there were a hallelujah. bunch of yeah, right Amen hallelujah there were that, yes. contractors in there who'd been in the industry for years and number one you got to be interesting on television right. and number two you have to be able to translate it and if any of you have ever talked to a contractor at your house most of the time you're like are you speaking Korean because mm -hmm. I don't even know what you're telling me I need to do in this hold situation. up the hammer so I understand mm -hmm. the, the tool you're talking about exactly right. right exactly so it just one thing led to another and then instead of just being a TV host and I'm using quotes you know mm -hmm. because at that time it was like yeah you come on here you can do this I was like no I'm gonna know everything so I just started eating it up and we got on the shoots which were, prod they were shoots, but they were projects, right? And so we're in there and I was like, give me the torch. I'm gonna learn how to sweat pipe. Give me the tile saw. I'm gonna wow. learn how to do all this. And so I took the things I already knew and, and then added on to them and, and tried to become like truly a jack of all trades. And, um, and it ended up being a 10, 12 year career on the networks, which is amazing. And it was so early in, as you mentioned, with all of these shows. So how do you think being a woman helped or did it hinder you? I think uh, maybe both. I think it helped people. Uh, it, that's a really interesting question. Here's what I found. When I would go into people's homes, the people that were m most insecure about there being a woman with a tool belt on who knew something were either women Mm -hmm. who were weird mm -hmm. to me. It was so bizarre. It wasn't like, hey, I'm here and we can do this thing together. They were like, well, what does she know? And then there were the guys that didn't mm -hmm. grow up with home improvement who didn't know anything sure. and they felt really oh. insecure. They were like, oh, do you even know what's in your tool belt? I mean, the things I heard literally <laughs> put me back decades. Huh. I was like, I can't believe that that mentality is still there. But what I decided to do was have like the Buddhist beginner's mind. We are all a beginner always mm. and if we're a beginner we are that. always open to learning something and we're not like about we're not fearing proving what we know we are just about learning so that we can turn around and teach that to someone else it's not a competition not a competition no and that ended up really helping me have peace and joy and openness on the job and that's when i really started to learn tell us your story about being a mother a woman and how it parlayed into your newest endeavor yeah. Well, you know, working in TV, and you all have been there, you, you travel a lot, you have crazy hours. It's hard to be a mom when you're doing all that. And uh, when I got pregnant, you know, I met my, my husband at the time, and, and we decided to have a child right away, you know, right out of the gate. And I was older having a child, so it was like, no, if we're going to do this, let's do this. And um, he came along, and right away, I, I had loved living on a plane for my whole life. And now it was like, I don't... I don't think I'm gonna like that. I think I'm gonna wanna be home. And people would tell me in the industry, they were like, oh, you're gonna love going back to work. You're gonna, you know, get a nanny, you're gonna whatever. And I was like, I don't know if I will. I think I might wanna be home with them. And I wanted to be home with them. Um, so I did go back in and Renovation Raiders actually started shooting after I had my son. So I was still full in it and working a ton of projects. And then, um, you know, one thing led to another and I really wanted to kind of be in charge of my own stuff going on in my own time. 
Um, and so I didn't know what that was going to look like. And I started doing my own renovations and things. And then life flashed forward into a mess. I mean, mm. things evolved into a really, really difficult situation. And um, as I got out of that, as I came out of that, I was really trying to figure out what's next. You know, do I take this thing? We, we all have these moments in our life, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's a quarter life or a midlife crisis and we're going, I created X. Do I keep X and expound upon it? Do I have to reinvent the wheel? Or do I go on to the next thing? Is there something else that's calling me? And it's a, that's a scary leap. And I knew I was going to start a nonprofit. I knew there was something that I wanted to do. And I, was try I knew it was around women's issues. And I was trying to figure out what that was. And one thing led to another, and I'm jumping way ahead. But I sat with a girlfriend at brunch one day, and we were talking about life and what's next and how to make stuff happen. Mm -hmm. And as we walked out, we were like saying goodbye in the parking lot. And she's like, hey, by the way, do you want to do a clothes drive for the Tubman Foundation? You know, they have the Harriet's <laughs> Closet. And uh, it's a place where women who are, you know, escaping domestic violence, um, they're at the shelter and there's Harriet's Closet has this place where women can go and pick out a couple Harriet's Closet where people can go and pick out a couple outfits for a month for court dates for job interviews as they're trying to rebuild their life and I was like oh yeah let's yeah let's let's do that and I got in my car and I was like whoa I'm tired of showing up for other people I need to be my own CEO like I've showed up for a network for years and produced for years for other people. I want to show up for myself. Okay, so I guess this is a nonprofit. This is what we can do. Let's organize this clothes drive. And it was literally 10 days from the day we had brunch and had a couple cocktails and decided to do this to the day we had our first event. And within 10 days, we'd become incorporated. Wow. Within, within 24 hours of her being like, you want to have a clothes drive? I was like, um... <laughs> Yeah, I found a venue. We had a date. Like everything just happened. And then you, know, you had a foundation. Know. And we had a foundation. Wow. And she, in 48 hours, got back to me with she's a creative director at an ad agency. So our like mutual skill set, you know, ended up being this thing where we were like deliver, 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 deliver. And it just happened. And so you know you're on the right track. Now I'm feeling right. inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we do want to talk about the nonprofit in just a moment. But I think a lot of people, including myself, heard you talk about this really difficult situation that you were in. Mm -hmm. A lot of women out there and men, mm -hmm. children, are in very difficult personal situations. So, you know, as, as comfortable as you can describing your, your world at that time, maybe mm -hmm. you can at least describe some of the emotions and how you got yourself out of it. And I mean, in the, you have tools mm -hmm. to get yourself out of it. So right. maybe even some advice for women who feel like they're trapped and there are no, there's no way out. Right. There's so, that's an amazing question. And there's so many levels in there. I think the first step, even before getting out is getting in and realizing how do we make these choices? Number one, are we teaching our kids about healthy relationships? You know, I was never really taught what that was. So I was this, well, this was an abusive relationship. Yes, and abuse occurs on all different levels. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing. And people say, oh, what is verbal abuse? What's financial abuse? What's emotional mm -hmm. abuse? These are things that will tear you apart and put you in the hospital because you become, it, it literally tears apart your soul mm -hmm. on a level that is, it's kind of indescribable. But the people that are listening that have ever been through something like that, they're going, oh my gosh, we're using my hand. I know. Mm -hmm. I know how you feel. And so we're not really taught about healthy relationships early on. So I think I went into a marriage where I saw a bunch of red flags in person's behavior. And I thought that by love and commitment and by raising them up and by setting my own dreams and things aside and by putting them first, that I could make the situation better. That, that, 
I could do that. I could fix it. And such a woman thing, right? Right. right. Like, yeah. And I realized, well, number one, that's not the case. Um, number two, especially if you're dealing with any sort of addictions, you the a person has to want to help themselves, right? And then when you're a person has to that a person has to want to help themselves through a situation. We can't be anyone's saviors, and sometimes we can only love people. We can't save them, and so sometimes that also means loving them from afar mm-hmm. and stepping out. Love. Detachment with love, right? Kind of take us through that process and maybe, you know, again, to pull our listeners in who are really interested in this particular topic, you know, how can they maybe take those steps? What are some of the things that you recognize that maybe they could recognize and then they could then move forward and, and try to find a way to get out? Right. Um, I remember in college reading a book that one of my aunts had given to me about relationships and it was someone that had been on Oprah and it was about that frog philosophy. Like if you throw a frog into a pot of boiling water, it will jump out immediately. Sure. If you throw a frog into a pot of boiling, uh, a pot of water that's cold and then turn up the heat, mm-hmm. it will die. It will boil to death. Mm-hmm. And I think in abusive relationships, it is conditioning. You walk into it and it doesn't all come down at you at once. Or, uh, you know, there might be red flags here and there, but it happens and you're in it and you're committed and you're going and then things start getting worse and worse and worse. And usually there is a level of um, kind of entrapment where you are disengaged from your family, right? You're, you, you lose your friends and it happens slowly where you realize you don't have the connections anymore. You lose your support group being cut off and isolated. Isolation is one of the main tactics of abuse. So you realize you're starting to lose all the people around you. So number one, you don't even want to talk to. You're going through this and you're alone. Is there a part of you too that, I mean, you recognize yourself as a smart, capable woman. So there must be a part of you that says, I'm a smart, capable woman. I would never get into this situation. This is not happening to me. Right. I was being told it was my fault, Mm. that I was, all the problems were surrounding something being wrong with me. And then as a, I don't know, seemingly I thought I was, you know, somewhat intelligent and emotionally intelligent and I had my stuff together and I'm listening to someone who I respected mm-hmm. their opinion. Well, maybe they're right. So you start second guessing yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and some people, you know, turn anger outward, they lash out and other people turn anger inward and that becomes depression. So depression and anxiety is something that is, you know, so prevalent in these mm-hmm. real situations. Um, So you go through all of those emotional uh, factors, second-guessing yourself. I started recording things, recording conversations, recording fights, because I thought there's something wrong here. You know, this this isn't right. I ended up having a domestic abuse hotline and a suicide hotline phone numbers in my bedroom drawer, and I called them. And it was, I mean, I look at my life right now and I can't remember the sensation of how low I actually was when I was in the middle of it. And the lowest, lowest point came two years before I even decided to leave the situation. So you stay because for me, there was a child. And I was like, I want to keep my family together. But as I started, uh, I started it with a couple different therapists and I went to them to save my marriage. I was like, help me. He's not going to come, but I'm, I'm going to come and I'm going to learn everything I can do to save my marriage. And as I talked to the first one, I went for about three months without even being able to tell them what was actually going on. 
And I thought, well, this is really stupid. Like, why sit with someone? I might as well be, like, going out, you know, for coffee with someone I don't even know and talking about the weather because this is totally pointless. And then I found someone who, for whatever reason, with that particular therapist, on the first session, I just went, Hah! And, like, everything came out. And she was like, all right. And it was still a few months through that process where she finally looked at me and she goes, I think you know what's going on. What do you need to confirm that for you? What do you need? And that's when the light bulb went off and I was like, okay, my life just, oh, I mean, my stomach just turns even thinking about it, but my everything just shifted. And I realized my son was not gonna have his parents. Our life was gonna be different at that mm-hmm. moment, but you know that you have to take a step and move yourself out of that. And so to that point, Amy, everybody does have a different story when Mm -hmm. it comes to whatever kind of abusive relationship they are in. Mm -hmm. What can your nonprofit, and now she rises, what can it do to help these women? Right. Well, we um, strongly believe that just like with an addict getting help, right? You can and let me oh, say sorry. men too. Yes. Although it says she, it could be a he. It could be a he. And and we as women have focused on supporting women and the and the um, two shelters that we've worked with here in the Twin Cities are specifically domestic violence shelters that assist um, that assist women and children. But um, it can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. And so yes, um, when we started this, we knew that you can't help someone out of their situation. They have to choose to leave, which is the saddest and the hardest part. Um, Because, oddly enough, my co-founder and I, we had both experienced situations in which, um, especially for her, she was given warnings. People reached out and said, "Um, you should kind of know about this guy. She was getting the people were like hey waving the flag Mm -hmm. and she was like oh I'm gonna be it's gonna be fine I can make it work it's gonna be great so we know you can't help anybody out so and now she rises has our symbol is a comma and to us it's everything that happens after the comma you decide to leave it's now all this crap happens and now what sadly when you leave an abuser that is when death is most likely to occur there are I think it's eight 87,000 uh, women that are killed a year globally. Of that, 50,000 of them are killed by intimate partners or family members. That means 137 women a day are killed by a domestic partner. That's insane, mm-hmm. right? And so when you look at those numbers, it's staggering and you're like, so the most dangerous part we've learned is when people actually leave. That's when things escalate. That's when the abuser is losing control. That's when they're lashing out. That's when the danger is. And yet that's what you have to do if you're in that situation. You have to. It's never going to get better. You can't get to that next step until you make the break. Exactly. And once you do, that's the most challenging and dangerous spot. Mm And we found that that's where we want to come in. That's what we, when we want to arrive and help people change their narrative. Because you're coming out of it and you are feeling like a victim. And no one wants to define themselves by their story. Our stories don't define us for the rest of our life, but they give us tools to start the rest of our life. And so we wanted to make a really positive spin on that and show people how they can start the transformation process. And that starts with yourself. That starts with no contact mm-hmm. with the abuser. I mean, there's, there's so many different things and resources that we wanted to give, but we've contacted 
uh, this abuse shelters locally, the resource and crisis centers, um, and we've been working with them for the past few months now since we got incorporated. And what we've found that our nonprofit will be is a conduit between uh, women needing resources and these places, but especially between the public with education and resources for the public and opportunities for the public to show up and give back gain awareness mm -hmm. to try and stop we want to stop the cycle and the stigma because I the think stigma yeah. there's so many women who feel ashamed and they can't leave a relationship mm -hmm. because of what other people are going to say and there is such a stigma around that so yes. ending that and making it okay to come out and say this is a problem that I'm having help me Exactly, and teaching about what do, um, domestic abuse and um, that domestic violence actually is, that there are so many different levels to it. When people start understanding it, they go, oh, mm. oh, I, maybe this is what's actually happening. I couldn't define it, I couldn't put my finger on it, but my world is a disaster, you know? And so we have found that we are a great conduit between people that want to come out like our, you know, clothes drives, our panty drives, figuring out what the greatest need is at these shelters, um, for women in recovery and then finding the people that want to go out for a cocktail for the night and why not have it be for a good cause and so that's kind mm -hmm. of what all of our our fundraisers and our events have been have been surrounding okay Amy I think we should this has been a fantastic conversation and we'll be sure to put the website on our Facebook page and wherever but we really want to know in terms of your TV life your new life whatever what do you think is the best advice that you could give to women so they can live their best life oh what a great question um i'm gonna take a drink of wine while you since we are <laughs> yeah, three not women to put you on the about, spot right? or anything if i have to answer i'm gonna take a drink of wine <laughs> something much right better ahead. while you're taking a drink of wine uh and now she rises is the name of the Yes. The nonprofit foundation that you can see online. What is the web address for that? It's andnowsherises.org it. or andnowsherises.rocks. I like the dot rocks. Isn't that great? <laughs> so, advice to women um, or men? To everyone. It's the same for all of us, right? It's tapping into. Well, first of all, we have to get off this wheel that we're on of our crazy, busy lives. It's actually fun. I like my crazy, busy life. But I think until we slow down um, and, and sit and be present in what's going on around us, in our relationships, whether it be with our girlfriends, with these wines and you guys, <laughs> <laughs> with our children, with our partners, um, until we can sit in that, we can't really have authentic relations with others. And if we aren't in touch with what kind of our deeper desire is, what, what is your desire? Is it to have impact? Is it ha to have a purpose-filled life? Is it to be heard? Um, until we can sit with ourselves, we're, we're never going to be able to make those things happen. And I think, um, I think digging deep into what what is our purpose? I mean, to me, I've been sitting for the last year and a half coming out of a situation that was really challenging. I feel like the whole point of it is I want to have purpose. Like, what do I do with whatever has been handed to me or whatever I have chosen or whatever I have brought into my life? How can I take that and make a difference for someone else? And to me, it's been a combination of on the home side of things and renovations and empowering people and sharing stories about what to do and how to beautify their space and how to make a function and then also how to empower people enough to have self-respect enough to be able to cut ties with toxicity in their life. 
And so I think all those things coupled make me feel like I'm living a purpose-filled life. And that's what I want to share with other people is how to tap into that. That's beautiful. Well, listen, we want to, uh, first of all, cling to that. Yes, right? absolutely. Cheers to that. And while we cling to that, um, we are going to get to our final flight in just a moment. And that's where we ask you a couple of quick questions just to get some extra information out of you. So we're going to take a break and come right back. Three Women and a Bottle of Wine is supported by 515 Productions. 515 Productions is a video production business with base camps in Minneapolis and Des Moines, Iowa. Ian, who's so great, and his crew understand the art of creative storytelling, and they know how to make video look really, really good. Learn more at 515productions.com. Our logo was created by Aaliyah DeSaltz, a creativity guru offering art workshops to everyone from business executives to book clubs because we all have untapped creative potential just waiting to be unleashed. You can find her contact information on our website. You can stay up to date on our podcast by checking out our website, threewomenandabottleofwine.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find behind-the-scenes photos and, of course, much, much more. Be sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back now for Final Flight. This is a series of quick questions just to learn a little bit extra about you, Amy. So if we're going to start, we are sitting here around a bottle of wine right now, but what is your favorite drink? Wine. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You're, you're one of us. We're yeah. so happy to have you here. Yeah, that's Next podcast, here. four <laughs> women and a bottle of wine. <laughs> now, granted, I have to say, a, a really dirty gin martini with blue cheese olives comes mm. second. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Amen to that. Okay, yeah. least favorite food? Too much food? Mm. Oh, I Just anything. <laughs> okay, I can. Cauliflower. I dated a guy in college that had a cauliflower ear that was a wrestler, and I'm oh. sorry, but it killed a whole sort of vegetable thing for me. I cannot do cauliflower. Oh, <laughs> oh God. So it's just this wrong. works great for you. We next are at the question. Handsome Hog in St. Paul, and she did eat. You did have the Brussels sprouts, Rock, right? Yeah, They're the Brussels amazing. sprouts are amazing. Okay, yeah. okay. All right, good. So, a habit. Tell us a habit you would like to quit. Procrastination through distraction, through technology. Our lovely Lynn Melling could help you with that. Really? <laughs> she is great. <laughs> she is on task. I was going to say, here. though, I, I don't see any procrastination in your life. This whole story, you've just been like, boom, boom, boom. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So I think you should go easy on yourself. I don't see a shred of procrastinator in you. If, see, if, as I, if, if I do say so myself, speaking from a type A OCD personality... <laughs> Self-diagnosed. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I don't see. So, see, uh, I look at it this way. I look at it like if I wasn't a procrastinator, I'd be on the ballot in 2020. That's how I feel. Whoa! Mm -hmm. I love that confidence. That's I awesome. Agreed. And I kind uh -huh. of think since we all have our roots in television, you can't really be a procrastinator. Same day deadlines. It's the perfect career. Make air, not art. I it's love that. Right. I love that quote. <laughs> oh, Amy, you know, we love it. We loved having you. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. So thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully we'll get to talk to you again. I can't wait. For Follow your nonprofit. For another bottle and some gin next time we're <laughs> <laughs>
see his byline in the Star Tribune business section almost every day, but his background is in business. Yeah, coming up on the next episode of Three Women and a Bottle of Wine, columnist Lee Schaefer talks about his journey into journalism, and he shares his insights on how to read between the lines when you're reading a business story, and he'll help you become a smarter news consumer. So come along with us, everybody. You can get smart and business-like with us next time on Three Women and a Bottle of Wine.